A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. The Lord's spirit will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of planning and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in fearing the Lord. He won't judge by appearances nor decide by hearsay. He will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He will strike the violent with the rod of his mouth. By the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together, and a lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations will seek him out, and his dwelling will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. So I haven't been at it um, this whole pastor at Easter thing for too long, so I don't know all the rules, but I think typically this is not a time when the pastor stands in front of a better than usual dressed crowd and confesses, but this morning I have a confession. I lied to you. You see, years ago when we planted Oak Church, one of the folks on our core team donated a fledgling oak tree that we planted right at the top of the hill where the parking lot is, where yesterday we had the Easter egg hunt and the big kids stormed down the hill and gathered all the eggs, right? It was a great idea, this oak tree. We'd watch this little tree grow alongside of us and be reminded of how far we've come, how many rings the Lord has graced us with, how much shade and cover this thing is starting to produce for birds and animals and even kids and Easter eggs. It was going to be a kind of a sign, a sacrament even, of what Oak Church is becoming, a planting of the Lord for the display of God's beauty, from Isaiah 63, or 61.3. So I looked back for a picture of all this, and I had to rely on trusty Instagram uh, do to document uh, this tree. Here's a picture. This is from the first Easter egg hunt, March 28th, 2015 is the timestamp, five Easter egg hunts ago, and Abby Wilson notes, the eggs aren't quite hidden. Hmm, surely by late March, some signs of life should, should start to show. Should be a little more foliage on that tree. I think you see where this thing is going. Needless to say, we either killed our baby oak tree or we got a bad one from the nursery. I'd like to prefer to think about the latter. We just got a dud. 
but what a terrible omen this is. <laughs> you create a sort of symbol that your health and your future is staked to, and then there's no more life happening there. Scroll forward in the at Oak Durham Instagram feed for a little more than a year and change, and on September 19th, 2016, resurrection, quote unquote, happened. <laughs> Accompanied by, you guessed it, a Wendell Berry poem, most famous for its line, Practice Resurrection. And this even drew critical acclaim from our friend that we saw yesterday and on Good Friday, the Reverend Kurt Lowndes, who's not a avid Instagram commenter, but he said, good words. That's my lie. <laughs> That's not even the same kind of oak tree. <laughs> it's not even close. We've planted a different one. This is not practicing resurrection. Please forgive me. And while this is all fun and games, I didn't see anyone storm out of the room during this. You don't feel that cheated by your pastor. Or maybe you're just not that surprised. <laughs> Honestly, I think this is how most of us live our lives. With a sort of practical and realistic coming to terms with just how normal death is and just how not normal resurrection is. You'd probably fault me more for sitting around and waiting for that first oak tree to come back to life. Instead, we, we all do this. We have to make something happen, something good, something that reflects well on us, something to release some of the tension, something to hide our shame, something to prove ourselves or to prove it to ourselves that this all is working. But isn't it? sitting and waiting and watching and working and hoping and groaning and praying and trusting for God to show up and work, kind of the whole point of the story that God's been telling. Like start at the beginning with a, a formless void, not a whole lot of life there. But God spoke and there was. And it was good. In some cases, it was very good. Light into darkness. Even the darkness is not dark to God. And then the story progresses a little bit. We come to Abraham and Sarah. They're the, some of the characters in the Bible that had their name changed. Whenever you change your name in the Bible, something happened, right? And God told these two childless codgers that they would not only be parents, but they would be parents to a family that would be blessed and that would bless the world, that would save creation, verdant life into barrenness. Even the empty womb is not empty to God. Or when the angel shows up to Mary, this teenage Middle Eastern woman, and tells her she's going to have a son, even though um, she hadn't been with a man, and his name's going to be Jesus, and this whole arrangement's probably going to make her life a lot harder. Riches into poverty, power into weakness, good things into emptiness, even the small and insignificant is not small and insignificant to God. 
Or how about the, the terrible omen that we, that we observed on Friday? When the one who became a symbol that our health and future was staked to, and then there was no life happening there on a tree. Even the dead is not dead to God. And sure, there's plenty of instances in scriptures where humans take this sort of thing into their own hands. We take it upon ourselves to stimulate and simulate this kind of creative power. Adam and Eve in the garden is a pretty good example. Or a few pages later in Genesis, that hot new urban development called Babel, right? Remember that? Sarah with Hagar, Jacob towards his brother Esau, David on the rooftop at wartime. These instances range from, well, who could really blame them to, like, horrific. I'm sure we all have instances in our lives that range from, well, who could really blame them to horrific. For us and them, it always seems like death is stronger than life. And to say otherwise would be absurd or even dangerous. So we take matters into our own hands. Even when it comes to God's plans, no one wants to wait too long to hunger and thirst for righteousness so much that you starve to death. No one wants to be hung out, forsaken, mocked, left, forgotten, departed from the land of the living. This also was the setting for our scripture reading today from Isaiah 11. The lineage for the coming Messiah was cut off. The people of God are threatened with exile and extinction. A tree stump is the image. All history, no future. How embarrassing. How sad. We normally love this reading, and I, I can't hear it anymore without hearing the children's song from Rain for Roots. The little child will lead them, right? We love the idea that Jesus' birth fulfills this prophecy, which in part it does. We love the idea of a little baby savior with God's spirit upon him, growing in wisdom and understanding and planning, especially you type A's. Can I get an amen, right? The Savior plans ahead. This is so good. And growing in strength and knowledge and fear of the Lord. But here's the thing. That same Jesus as a grown-up also fulfills this prophecy. That same Jesus who is brutally executed on a cross. That same Jesus who was dead dead. Like really dead like embalmed dead, like sealed in a crypt dead, like everyone went away from him and fled because the story was over dead, but now somehow manifests God's spirit, this same Jesus, this spirit which is wise and understanding and has plans and is strong and has knowledge and reverence for God. This is the same Jesus who was raised, who's the shoot out of the stump not just of Jesse, but of all humanity, of all creation. The, the new beginning where there was just an ending. New and lasting life where there was only death. This changes everything. I love this painting of our passage today from a Quaker pastor and painter, Edward Hicks. 
It's called the Peaceable Kingdom. And it shows this changed world that we live in because of Jesus' death and resurrection. If you ever go track down this painting, he created 62 versions of it. You're probably never going to get the same one in your Google search. Imagine being that enthralled, that like totally energized with this vision that you'd spend the rest of your life uh, painting this one thing. It said he, he, he stopped being a pastor because he didn't have enough time to preach because he was painting this, right? <laughs> Never let me have a sabbatical with paints, right? But this, this is, this is the, the image that he spent the rest of his life imagining and imaging, this reconfigured new world. The scripture says this world's going to be the sort of place where a wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion will feed together and the little child will lead them. A cow and bear will graze, the young will lie down together and a lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole. This is free range parenting right here. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den, and they won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. The way the world was, the way it was set up with clear delineations, predators and prey and winners and losers and diners and dinner and innocence and threats has all been reconfigured. Because Jesus is risen from the dead. The disorder has been reordered. There's no harm in destruction now, only healing in construction. Every ocean you've ever seen or swam couldn't contain the God knowledge that now floods the earth because of what we've seen. We've seen what salvation looks like. Paul writes to the Colossians, that the image of the invisible God looks like Jesus. This once dead, fully God, fully human, now leading us out of death. All the things that our fear in defending against death make us do, leading us out of that into the new creation. This is what resurrection means. In the words of Frederick Buechner, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. We got that. Resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing because we've seen this in the life of Jesus. In the last couple weeks, I met with a person who's been in the middle of a really long season of doubt and struggle in their faith. The person asked if there was any way that I could tell kind of the gospel story in a way that would make sense to them, like kind of like an, eleva an elevator pitch. Um, I'll tell you what, I must have said things like, this is really weird, but, or I can't believe that God chose it to do, to do it this way, or there's really no way that I can prove it, but man, I'd stake my life on it about a dozen times in about a three-minute elevator ride, right? Um, and that's, I think, what you get when your newly calibrated picture looks like a Jesus who died and was raised. This crucified one, the one who is no longer or ever again dead. You need new words. You need a new imagination. 
Speaking of this sort of imagination, you all met Noah earlier, or you know Noah. Titus, though, is our five-year-old son, and he's by far the best theologian in the family. He has an amazing imagination for these things. And I, I have like a running note in my phone with things he says and prayers that he prays that one day will collate into like his multi-volume systematic theology. It's, it, you can pre-order it. Um, but last summer, while we were at the beach, we were taking turns burying each other in the sand, like up to your neck, right? And, and he uncorks this one unprompted. He says, Dad, when we bury you, you'll be in the tomb, so you'll be God. <laughs> you'll be in the tomb, so you'll be God. Yes, buddy. <laughs> we do have a God who is buried in a tomb. The very tree of life that we rely on for everything to sustain us was cut down to the root. This like gnarled stump staring back at us, begging us to hurry and do something, hide our shame. Hurry, plant something so that no one will know how embarrassing this all is. Paul elsewhere says, if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Go home, he says, right? This is embarrassing. We're just standing around looking at a dead oak tree expecting something different to happen. But God did raise Jesus by God's spirit. Think how, uh, I actually think that's really significant even how we say that. God raised Jesus by the spirit. That Jesus was raised. He didn't rise. This wasn't like the rhythm like the sun or like how uh, warm gases and smoke always floats upward. God raised Jesus because Jesus was truly dead and the dead don't do anything for themselves. And this never happens before. But God raised Jesus. The same God that we must call on to raise us. When we feel like we're dying or when we're honest enough to see ourselves dead in our own sin, God will raise us. This is the same creative spirit that breathed into clay. This is the same powerful spirit that gives life to our mortal bodies. This is the same generative and unifying spirit that breaks down barriers and brings about understanding poured out on all flesh. The same spirit. This is the same spirit who is at work in our midst, whether we know it or not. This is the same spirit that blows this way and that, and we don't even see where it comes from or where it goes. This is the same spirit for us who are in Christ that we work in to bring about hope, healing, and hospitality in Jesus' name in the really specific spaces and places that you've been put and called. This spirit does crazy things like turn this terroristic tool of death, and that's what the cross was. It was terror, and that's what death does. It strikes terror into our hearts, so we do crazy things of people who are fearful. Turns that terroristic tool of death into a site and source of salvation. Turns a hopeless stump of a tree into the evergreen tree of life. 
continually renewed and renewing, a shelter for and a signal to the peoples, a glorious dwelling. That means we're at home with God wherever we are. Revelation 22 gives this like end vision of all things. The text says, on each side of the river is a tree of life. That tree's leaves are for the healing of the nations. There won't any longer be a curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. The Lamb of God will be on the throne. The vulnerable one is the victorious one. The sacrifice becomes the savior, the helpless, hopeless, speechless one killed on Friday at Calvary without a name. Then on Sunday becomes the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, everywhere. Do you see how much stronger and more durable this hope is than what we normally walk around with kind of in our pocket? How high and deep and wide this love and grace of God shown to us in the resurrected Jesus. When you look at the cross now, you should see a cross that extends as far down as the dead and as far up as the heavens and as wide as anywhere and anyone you're ever going to meet. Do you see how interesting and beautiful and good living in this unshakable coming kingdom can be? Do you see how this now is a call through death, not to be plucked out of death or to walk around death, but through death into life, and this call goes out to everyone and also calls in everyone? Because death no longer stands between us and God. It no longer stands between us and each other. It no longer stands between us and creation. That's all I got. Will you be part of this glorious possibility that you're already a part of? Because if anyone is in Christ, the new creation is here. This is an evergreen kingdom of Jesus, and it's here. You all pray with me. Lord Jesus, resurrected one. By that same spirit that raised you from the dead, revive us. Give us eyes and ears and hearts and minds to to, to see you at work in this world, in this new creation that's bursting forth around us. those of us who have walked through the waters of baptism and have been joined to you in your death and in your life. Help us keep walking and help us show in our lives um, your life. Take away our fear and our shame. Take away our impatience at, at how you work and keep giving us faith and hope and love that we might witness your eternal and healing life. We pray all this 
In the name of Jesus. Amen.